We are in a series out of 1 Peter. You can, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll have the, the scriptures on the screen in just a minute. Uh, we are in the second chapter of, of 1 Peter. And this is uh, a letter that is written that is going to be circulating uh, over, uh, over Asia, uh, especially where we would have modern-day Turkey. And there are churches there that it's addressed to that's going, this, this letter is going to be passed from one church to the next, and then it will go back again and again, and they will uh, use this as part of encouragement for the church. The author is Peter. Uh, he is the Peter that we know from the New Testament. Uh, he is St. Peter. He is the one of uh, Jesus uh, has a close, uh, a close relationship, and now he is one of the apostles, the, the one who it appeared was the one who was most likely to run away uh, and deny him. Uh, Jesus is using these words uh, to build his church. So as he writes this, uh, if you've been with us, you know that this is a time in which the church is, uh, for the first time, it's just out of the gate, right? The church is just now out of the gate, and they're trying to understand who they are. There's a there's a sense that Jesus is going to come back at any minute. They're hoping he's going to be back because he said, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be back. I'm coming back soon. Be ready. And so they've made themselves ready, but Jesus has not come back yet. And as they're waiting, uh, there are dark clouds that are, are looming on the horizon beginning to, to uh, come over them as the Roman government is no longer uh, very friendly or at least impartial. Uh, towards the Christians, but now they are beginning to, there's, there's this kind of understanding, there's some persecution. And as you know, Peter's going to be dead uh, in a year and a half or two years' time when they're writing this letter because of that persecution. And so there is something that's going on in the life of these believers where they are far from, um, far from Israel, they're far from Jerusalem, they're far from the temple, they're far from all those things that were the foundation from which Jesus is rising up from, and they are just separate. And so he's writing this letter to them in their moment of need, in the, on the verge of persecution, uh, to these people who need to hear some good news. They are far... In many ways, it seems they are far away from the favor of God. They are, seem to be far from his indwelling presence that, that was known to be in Jerusalem. And, and now they are way out in Asia, Turkey. They are, they are speaking a different language. They are different people. They're not ethnically Jews. They didn't come from Jerusalem. They did not come from Israel. They are far-flung people. They... Uh, they're, they are open to having a kind of lifeless, hopeless, powerless faith. They have to be wondering, with all that's going on, it seems that Jesus has not fulfilled his promise that he was coming back. Is this, is this Jew, is this Jew who they say died and was resurrected, is he really the thing or is he just a flash in the pan? Many of them have, or probably most, or not all of them, have never met Jesus. They're going on someone else's word. And as they look at those who are their leaders, their spiritual leaders, they are under persecution. They're running for their lives. These people that this letter is to are geographically removed from the story. They are removed from the gospel story that happened in a place. They are far flung from there. 
They are culturally removed from God's great work. That work was started among a different kind of people. They had a different culture, a different way of life, a different language, and they are, they are distant from its origins. These people have been given the promises of God, but it's hard to see the fulfillment in their lifetime. And now, and now they're going to have to stand in the midst of persecution on what will they stand. So Peter writes this letter to them so they might know. And here we are today. We are further removed <laughs> We're even farther geographically. We're further in time. The, it's 2,000 years since this story happened. Our culture is even stranger than the culture of that time. And so I'll pray a prayer over you. Before I do that, I want you, I've never asked you to do this before and I probably will never do it again, but I want you to just look around at each other. I want you to see these people. They're here with you. Everybody can look into the camera. We see you guys there. And you're, we see you in your lazy boy chair. We see you with your schnauzer who's on the couch. Don't get down. Okay, as you see these people right now, my prayer is by the end of this message that Peter's giving to people just like us, that you will see each other and yourself very differently. So get a good look, because you're not going to see them like this anymore. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today, and we ask that your word would inform us, encourage us, challenge us, and give us a clarity of perspective that only comes from a divine vision from you. And so, Lord, we're asking for great things, because we need it. And you're the source of all good things. So we will listen with attentive ears, open heart. We pray your spirit would move and give us wisdom that is beyond these ages. We honor you. We love you. And I think we're about to love you even more. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 8. If you wanted the verses we uh, skipped, I'm sorry, it would be here for two hours. John Sims and I talked about this, uh, they'd be too long. So I'm just going to give you a, a few verses here. Chapter 2, 4 through 8, and then we'll finish out a little bit later with 9 through 12. This is how we begin today. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house Amen. to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. Here we hear about these stones again. Uh, that Jesus is, uh, we saw, a living hope, and now he is being referred to as a living stone. Now, when you think about a stone, alive is not the thing you think about, right? Like, that's just the opposite. When we talk about rocks, we think they're definitely inanimate. Coach Larson in eighth grade, we were playing basketball and doing a pretty bad job of it. He said... He was from Wisconsin. I hope I can do it justice. You guys as dumb as five rocks. It's pretty creative. But inanimate, non-thinking. But he says, now, I am speaking to you of a living stone, a living rock. These, these aren't rocks like we, we have at Lake Somerville that we skip across. These are dressed stones. These are for construction. So these are... These are rectangular kind of rocks. They've been worked over. This is not, this is not just a, a, a rock you pick up. These are made for construction. And he says, now, I, I want to tell you about this living stone. It, it has life. Thought it was dead, but no, it has life. It only has life because of the miraculous. And this rock that I'm talking to you about, this stone, is a living stone that was rejected by men. But in the sight of God, precious and chosen. And so Peter is speaking about a stone, a stone that has been talked about for a long time. This is, this is not unusual in the, in the hearing of uh, the people of God, the children of Israel. They had heard about a stone that was promised. And this stone was promised before they went into exile, when they were on the verge of exile. And the, the promise was there would come a stone and that stone would be someone that would, the other, the, the, ex, the, the ones who are bringing them exiles, the oppressors would stumble over. So it's as if I'm promising you a stone that's going to get victory in your life. Now we're about to head into exile, but I want to tell you there's a stone that's coming. And so... They did not see that stone realized when they were in exile, but the stone has now arrived. And so Peter is saying the stone that the Israelites were looking for, the one who would take off oppression, the one who would save his people, he has come. It is Jesus Christ. And he is a precious stone. He is, he is chosen by God. He has a purpose for you and in his historical redemptive plan. And then he goes on to say, this stone that you were looking for has come, and now I want to tell you, you also are living stones. Wait a minute. So you're saying, Jesus is this stone, and now he's saying that we too are like that stone. We once were dead, inanimate, nothing, and we have been made alive because of the living stone. And so first of all, you need to know people of God 
and the people of Asia at that time, in Turkey today, that you are living stones. There's been a, a miracle that has happened in all of us. That once we were dead and now we've become alive. So you are somebody. You are spiritually alive. You are part of this larger framework. So I have a little idea of what a cornerstone is, or at least I thought I did. Um, you know, we built this playground out here and we have guys out here. And the most important thing it seemed like that took forever is setting the foundation. Like I was just ready to go uh, and just start slapping stuff together. And some of the brothers said, no, 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 no. Slow down. Because if you get this wrong, it's everything's going to go wrong. So we had to measure and, and square up and make sure the ground and all these things before we even laid the, put in the, the first timber. And Jesus is this cornerstone uh, new, new Studio Architecture is a, a company I looked up, and they said a cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for a structure, while other stones are laid in reference to that one. A cornerstone marks the geographical location by orienting a building in a specific direction. Ooh, that'll preach, wouldn't it? Like, you guys, thank you very much. I could use that definition in some preaching. <laughs> the cornerstone is the first stone laid. Amen? So Jesus had to be the first living stone. And from that, we mark out what the whole structure is to look like. It gives us the, the width and the depth and the direction. It orientates us in our geography and in our place. And so Jesus is that chief cornerstone, that, that, that cornerstone that was rejected, that, that rock that was rejected has now become the cornerstone in which we now align ourselves as we are being built up into a spiritual house. In, in the time of Jesus, he identified himself as that stone, as that rock of offense. And people stumbled all over him, didn't they? The religious leaders recognized him that he was saying that he was that rock of promise, the, the stone that would come and, and, and overcome the oppressors. They understood that Jesus was saying he was Messiah. And they didn't see the Roman government falling over him, but they fell over him because they did not believe. But Jesus is the... Stumbling block. He's a stumbling block today for those who don't believe. They come to him and they look at him and they, oh, <laughs> they lose it, right? They are not building their foundation on Jesus Christ, but he is the foundation. Jesus says some things that make us stumble. Jesus says he is the only way. That's trouble for most people. Jesus makes people stumble because he says there is a standard of righteousness. He makes people stumble because he calls out sin in our lives. He causes people to stumble because he is opposed to the adversary. And so many people come to him and they can't 
get over him. They fall. We'll get to that in a minute. We are living stones. So he says something that is dramatic here. I don't want you to miss. He says, you, us, are being built up to be a spiritual house. So when we go back to the garden, we see in the garden that there is the action that's happening is geographical. Like this place is named the Garden of Eden. It has a location. It gives some direction as to where that is on a map. And in that garden, we see the action of the garden happening in a certain place. And that place is by the tree of the knowledge of uh, of life, the tree of, uh, the, tr the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Those things are where in the garden? Do you remember? In the They're in the center of the garden. And that is the central part of the beginning of the action of the story of God and his people. For in that place, we see that God is already marked out as that a holy place. Is it a place that you are, you, are, you are to keep your eyes on God in the midst of? And there in this holy place is God's presence and it's also the serpent comes in. And because they disobey God and they look to themselves as their own God, they don't trust in God, they are forced to leave that place, right? Yep, yep. And, and so that there is a, a flaming, there are flaming uh, swords held by cherubim that will not allow you to enter that place again. That place has been set apart, set away from, because the people of God have disobeyed God. And so they don't get to enter into that, that sweet communion with God. You see, they are near the tree when they sin. They eat from the tree. And then God comes in in the early morning day like he would come before and he looks for them and they are hiding themselves because they don't belong there anymore. They are full of shame and guilt. And so God removes them from that place and makes sure they can't go back again. So this, the story of God's people is that then God is going to uh, make a call to Abraham and tell them he is going to be, uh, God is going to be his God and they are going to be his people and that all nations would be blessed through him. And this blessing will be uh, uh, allowing people to come into the worship of God. And as the story progresses, we see that God does make a people out of Abraham's descendants, the, ch the children of Israel. And that as he calls them out as a people, he has them build a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, there's a, a place that the tabernacle is actually uh, in the middle of all of, you remember Leviticus? In the book of Leviticus and, and, and Numbers, we saw that they, they stationed all of the children of Israel around the center of the synagogue, of the, of the tabernacle. And as you went into the tabernacle, at the center of the tabernacle was a place of the Holy Holies. That is where God's presence fell upon them. And so God was going to be in the middle, in the middle of their lives. And it is in that center in which there is worship. And then after the tabernacle, we see the same thing in the temple, right? In the, the high holy city on Zion, the high holy city of Jerusalem, there is the temple on this high hill. A remembrance of a closeness to God. That's what Jerusalem is, a, a high place. And in that high place, you have the temple. And inside the temple is the, the Holy of Holies. God's presence among his people. 
And that's how God is. He's going to be at the center of his people. He's going to be making worshipers out of us. And so when they were to make the temple, there was all kinds of the temple and the tabernacle. There was exquisite design issues to be covered. There were those who had to be anointed to create such a building as this. And then God chose that there would be one tribe, the tribe of Levi. And in that, that tribe would serve within that temple. They would be responsible for keeping the fire going, in a sense. They were to fan the flames of God's presence. They were to, to offer sacrifices. And the sacrifice, now I'm going someplace with this, so stay with me. If you miss the notes here, you're not going to get how great this is in just a minute. So stay with me. I know we're doing a lot of history and technical stuff here. But as the, the Levites, a chosen tribe, would go into the temple, they were responsible for having sacrifices. Now those sacrifices were for different purposes. You would come in with a sacrifice because of your sin. That was one of the, one of the things we probably think about most often. Because of my sin, I bring in this sheep or goat or I bring in this pigeon or, or whatever it is. And that animal is going to be sacrificed. And so that sacrifice was a confession. As you went, you were confessing, I had this goat because I'm a sinner and I need something done about it. And so there was a sacrifice. God made a way for there to be a forgiveness of sins. So you brought that to this holy place in the center of Israel. And so you brought your sacrifice and there your sins were relieved. Your sins were forgiven in that place. You would also bring, uh, you would bring all kinds of grain offerings and you would bring those grain offerings and those would be a, a time of thanksgiving. You would celebrate what God had given to you. And so you would, you would offer those. And so it was a time, the temple was not just a, a bloody place, but it was also t- a place of eating and celebration. It is the giving up these great gifts of God and we recognize how good you've been to us and we come and celebrate. And not only did they bring that, but the Levites got to eat that stuff too. So it was their life. Their life bread was the offerings of the people given as sacrifices. Are you following me here? So those Levites, they lived in and around that temple. Their life was spent in and around that temple. And they are offering sacrifices. They're getting bloody. They're they're eating good. (laughs) They're offering prayers. They're keeping the the incense burning as if the prayers of God going up. And there even once a year, the high priest will go into the very presence of God. They were intermediaries between the people and God and God and the people. These are Levites as a chosen group. These priests had real work to do for the people of God to be on their behalf and also to share God with the people instrumental in temple life. Are you with me? Verses 9 through 12. But you, you, are the chosen race. I want you to remember who's hearing this. You people in Turkey are chosen race. You people in Brenham, chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, don't forget, but now 
You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I'd urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and say, oops, and glorify God on the day of visitation. I added the oops. You see, when God called Abraham to be a people in covenant with him, he was saying that his people were going to bless nations. That they would, be, they would be the blessing to the nations. That's what Israel's responsibility is. They didn't do a very good job of it, did they? They weren't particularly good at bringing others into the kingdom. But now he's saying of you and me, we are to fulfill that pledge and promise and that work that was given to Abraham, that we are now this holy house that's being built up. This holy house that is marked out by the things of God. This holy house that is full of priests. So not only are you stones, but you're also priests. And so now we are offering sacrifices and we are bidding the world to come and know this king. I like to think of it like this, where it, I could imagine the disciples thinking that Jesus was going to enter into the temple at some time and have a throne there. That he would be part of the royal priesthood, right? You could see that how that would make sense. Like he's going to reign from the temple. But that didn't happen. But he's saying now you belong to a royal priesthood. You belong to the one who is king and the one who also brings salvation. He is the one who offers sacrifice and, and speaks before the Father. Now you are part of that priesthood. And so today when we look around our church, I have to ask the question, who is the priest in our church? Is it the pastor? Elders? Sound man? No? Who's the priest? We are. we are. So you can look at each other and see each other a little different right now. We have a responsibility for each other, for ourselves, to be offering prayers of forgiveness, to receive these sacrifices. No longer is it, is it burnt animals, but it is our lives that we give as a living sacrifice. Oh, I, I, if you haven't done this, is one of the most blessed things. Is, is you sit around, and you'll be able to do this in your uh, gospel communities really soon. You sit around and you hear someone confess. We have, we have a group that meets on Tuesday nights. And it is only by the work of God, as we're sitting with these guys, and we're just telling the story. We never ask them to confess, but they start confessing. I gotta tell you, this is what I did. I gotta tell you, this was what my life was like. And I'm sorry for that. They're coming to Jesus. And you know what we get to say? Because of what Jesus says, I can now tell you, you are forgiven. We have the power to do that. Amen. Because we're a royal priesthood. He has, he has given us this gift that now we are calling other people, come to our Savior who offers the forgiveness of sins. Confess your sins. In uh, John Piper, in his book, Let, Na Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, one quote that's become famous there is that 
He says, missions exist where worship does not. The reason we have missions is because there are pockets and places and whole countries that are not worshiping. And so we go to them and we build up this spiritual house among them and say, come and meet this king. I want to tell you about forgiveness and grace and mercy. I want to tell you the way, show you the way. Let me close with this. Let me give you three points of application. And they are these. Know your place, bask in your privilege, and live your purpose. In light of what he says about us as this building, you understand that God has a divine picture of you and me. And I want for a moment for us to look from the divine. We oftentimes are looking from the ground up, right? That's how, we, that's how we are. We're looking from the ground up. And so all we can see is this stuff here. We can see how things are not working well in the world. We can see how our heart is not always working well, how we fail. We can see how everyone else fails. We see those things. But for a moment, maybe pause and look what First Peter says. I want you to have a divine perspective and look down. And how does God see us right now? He sees us as his royal priesthood. He sees us a stone upon stone. And we are gathered together and in our midst, in the center of all is our Lord. And there is worship going up, even right now. So when he sees us right now, he doesn't see just the fact that we're messy. Amen. But he sees us as living stones on the cornerstone. And so even among us right now, there's this great flavor and scent of our affections and love and sacrifice that are being sent up to the heavens. That's, a, that's the divine perspective. You might have missed that with the blue floors, but that's happening right now. And he's calling you and me out into that building up of something that's much greater. So your responsibility in the kingdom is huge. You're, you need to know your place. My question for you is, do your goals and hopes align with the foundation of Jesus Christ? As you think about your life, where are you going, what you're doing, do they align with this foundation? Is this the most important thing to you? And to those today, whether you're here with us or you're watching online, to those who are standing outside this divine dwelling, what say you? Jesus claims to be the Son of God. He, he calls you out of that other life and into being his people, to follow his way, not your own, to dedicate your life to him. He has asked, he has asked for your heart. And he has revealed his divine perspective, the way things really are. Either he is your cornerstone or he is your stumbling block. Will you align with him or will you reject and stumble? Will you reject the message of grace and redemption? If so, he is your stumbling block. You have rejected the living stone and it will be your downfall. But he calls you to come and be a part of an eternal dwelling. Know your place and bask in your privilege Brothers and sisters, you belong. You belong. You have been chosen, not by your good works, but by his good works. You've been set apart. 
and given responsibilities that are way above your pay grade. But he has done it for you. Because that's the God we serve. So live out your purpose as worshipers, as priests, following the bounds of Jesus, offering your sacrifices. He says, when we, when we read these first few verses, he says to uh, come as you come to him as living stones and being built up. Those are present, pa- present active. That means keep coming, keep coming to him. Church, keep coming to him. Keep build, be, 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 being built up. We, as the people of God, are growing into something that is great. A skyscraper in the city, its grandeur is known by its many floors. And God is building us up. He's building us up here in this church. He's building us up. He's building us up at Redeemer. He's building us up of the international, worldwide church. He's building up the church. And he's doing things. He's doing great things, such that there are praises that are going to him. We should be a people... whose lives are dedicated to this worship, interceding for others, receiving the forgiveness of our sins, personally offering that forgiveness to others, giving thanks, enjoying the blessings, communion with God. We're calling the nations to come into the blessing of our God, calling them into the, the work of our Lord. That's my prayer for us at Redeemer is that we'd be a people that would recognize our place as priests in this kingdom. And that we've been given a divine calling to call others to come and be a part of this. And that is our heart's desire and goal. There's a, a speaker named Carrie Sandham who was speaking at a women's conference with the Gospel Coalition. And she, she ends, she's gonna, we'll use her words to end today about they're very appropriate As we meet together as God's people on the Lord's day, we may not feel very impressive. Amen. But we have a message to proclaim that can raise people from the dead. (laughs) Give them a living hope and a heavenly inheritance. We have a message that can ransom them from futile ways and can purify their souls. The way they think, the way they speak, and the way they live. We have a message that can stop them from stumbling on the last day and ensure that they will never be put to shame. A message that can rescue them from darkness and bring them into a marvelous light. Will we share it with them? Lord God, we thank you for such a fine privilege divine purpose and a secure place in you. We couldn't even dream of these things. We thank you for giving them to us. Lord, uh, for the saints here, we are being built up. We, we look with divine eyes today from your, from your perspective and see praises going up in worship. We are satisfied and thankful for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As we uh, close our service, uh, we take up uh, Lord's uh, Lord's Supper together. This is for those who have become a part of this household of God.
you are one of the stones. You don't have to have, your, your name doesn't have to have Redeemer on it to do that. Uh, you just got to be a good stone, a good living stone. And so we offer this to you. On this side, we have uh, wine, and on the other side, we have juice. And uh, what you'll do as we begin to have some music played beautifully in the background is you'll walk up and grab the elements and sit down in your seat, and I'll lead you through taking the Lord's Supper together.
As we think about sacred moments uh, this last Wednesday, we had the joy of having two sacred moments in one day uh, when we had Miss Kathy and Mr. Elijah got married here at the church. Amen. And got to take their first communion together as a married couple. And uh, so we are uh, grateful for God's blessings all the way around. So congratulations to you, Mr. and Mrs. <laughs> all right. Amen. So each week we remember that Jesus loved us so much that he, his body would be broken on our behalf. So take and eat. And as he commanded his disciples to remember his sacrifice, take and drink. For the next few moments, we will be uh, uh, singing a little bit more together uh, and uh, singing a song of benediction, a blessing as we leave. There's a, ba a box in the back for you to give your tithes and offerings. Be sure to stop by there on the way out. Uh, Roy Dawson uh, is in the back there. He'll be by the hospitality area. If you gentlemen would like to know more about the getaway or let us know that you're going, that would be great. So uh, if you would, stand with me as we sing.